Monday night edition of the Dunktown Basketball Podcast, the first ever NBA award show is in the books. We'll talk a little bit about what the results were and uh, our opinions on them. Although, if you really are interested to know, we recorded back in April about what our all of our picks were and, and our thoughts. So, we won't spend too much time there, but wanted to talk a little bit about some of the voting for the awards. And then we got to get to a wrap-up, finally, of our off-season preview series, New York Knicks and the Phoenix Suns. So just what did you think of the show in general? It was a thing that happened. <laughs> should we just I, let you, should we just cut it off there? That's fine. I, that's we actually talk about like real shit on this show. Maybe we should just like end it at that point. I'm well, sure there'll be other people reviewing it. Yeah. Well, I think what I'll say is the Bill Russell moment was wonderful. I think that that's was really true. nice. Yeah, Monty Williams that. was great, and I I liked Russell Westbrook's speech. It's the MVP one is, is tough, and this was a different platform than usual when the awards often given out during the week during the day, and then snippets of it are taken out. Like I was watching the Durant speech live and it was special but you know it's it's a different thing and so credit to all them but it i think the the fundamental issue with it is that you're never going to get the timing exactly right I, i'm sure it would be so much fun if they could spin it all around and get it done between the end of the regular season the beginning of the playoffs that's never going to happen so absent that it just kind of gets weird i thought this was fine it, yeah it was fine the, the whole like oh it's like the narrative is all messed up like kd steph and lebron were clearly better than these guys for the MVP. I mean, I enjoyed this spectacle. Like I watched it with my girlfriend. She had some snarky comments she, of of Russell Westbrook's glasses when they first showed. She was like, "It's the boy who lived." <laughs> that was pretty funny. I don't, maybe we won't get that. In any event, uh, I hope they. I hope they do. That'd be sad. Well, you didn't even laugh though, so I mean, it's I was muted. Not that funny. I was. Oh. Mu- I'm muted like ninety. Per- <laughs> I'm muted like ninety five percent of the time you talk. So ninety five percent of the show. Yes. <laughs> All right, let's get to what the awards were. Russell Westbrook, of course, winning his first Most Valuable Player, average a triple-double. Everyone knows that. And we knew that as well, just thanks to the internet, just putting together what the publicly announced votes were. It would have been very difficult uh, knowing the ones that we already had been made public for it to be anyone other than him. Westbrook taking home 69 first-place votes. Harden only 22. Kawhi had nine, and LeBron James got one. Westbrook accumulating 888 points Harden got a ton of second place votes so 69 so he is actually one of the closer MVP races that we've had you and I both pick Russell Westbrook we thought he was deserving even though he's not I think close to being the best player in the league I thought just with the clutch performances that he had this year the historic nature of the season again we we spent just on MVP an entire hour-long episode back in April so go back and listen to that if you want to hear our thoughts there uh one of pretty the much dynam- everything yeah go ahead yeah, sorry one of the dynamics I thought that was most interesting not in the MVP race, you brought up how close that was, and I agree with you, was how not close a lot of the other ones were when I expected them to be close. Like Draymond Green for Defensive Player of the Year, he got 73 of the votes. Then Gobert had 16 first place votes. Kawhi had 11. It was similarly imbalanced in terms of Rookie of the Year, which is one that I thought was going to be this philosophical debate. Joel Embiid ended up finishing third partially because he got left off a bunch of ballots, but Malcolm Brogdon had 64 first place votes, so it wouldn't have mattered anyway. 
funny. Yeah, and I thought if you're going to... I thought it should have been Embiid just because it's rookie of the year and he was just so transcendent that, that he was the story of the rookies this season despite the 31 games and 700 minutes or whatever it was. Uh, and again, we talked about that. Uh, but I think Brogdon was a worthy winner over Saric if it, it had to be that. I think Brogdon was better played on a winning team. Saric put up a lot of counting stats late in the season when you know they didn't have anyone else to, to create offense. So I, I thought uh, Brogdon a worthy winner. Um and now uh it's amazing to think that the milwaukee bucks had both a former and upcoming rookie of the year in their training camp in 2016 one of which is still on the team yeah so that was probably the most conscious that was the one i was most interested to see most improved player you knew it was probably gonna be Giannis. it's kind of been the history of the award i want to say that ad got it like his second year or something like that um this was Giannis's fourth year but and he took an incredible leap obviously i mean he went from probably not a top 50 nba player to a top 15 nba player so that was really impressive i think god who did i even vote for you remember (laughs) i i think we both voted for Giannis. actually i definitely did yes actually i had Giannis in first place as well gobert was second and third place i had isaiah thomas and actually he came in sixth i think yeah and Jokic, i understand why he got picked but and he was great but he was like actually kind of close to this last year frankly Um, yeah he was Jokic was more the type of guy who often gets serious consideration for this and makes me angry of a guy who just played more and all of a sudden they're like hey he's improved and and also i don't really like to include second year guys that much same here either sixth man i had andre gridala first he came very close to winning it actually this was the closest one on the board gordon 46 first place votes iguodala 43 and then gordon also got more second place votes than iguodala was 358 points to 326 lou williams finishing third i actually had williams ahead of eric gordon as well but once williams got onto gordon's team and gordon was kind of ahead of him in the hierarchy that wasn't necessarily realistic so uh, not a travesty here i still think that iguodala should have won it at least one of the last two years that he is a better player and it's not like he's like wasn't playing that many minutes or was like missing a bunch of time due to injury especially this year and i thought that he the way that he played when Kevin Durant was out it was what cemented it for me but I understand that this award I mean we've actually made progress that Iguodala could finish second these last two years because it used to just be whoever like scores the most points off the bench during the season basically mm-hmm. well do we want to move on to the real miscarriage of justice okay dunk of the year oh yeah that was by the way yeah and actually my girlfriend was talking about this too and I agree like the highlights that they showed for all the plays of the year were so jacked up they just kept switching the camera angle like you couldn't even get one full view of the play and like see why it was so awesome it was she was like i want to see these plays like why do they just keep changing the camera all the time which it always bothers me too like i don't like movies like the born movies where like the fight scene every like half punch they're like changing the camera angle like i like like the whole point of it is like to know what's going on not to like look cool for the, the uh director or, i don't know whoever's in charge of like making it look like shit like that i think that's the cinematographer but i'm not sure <laughs> I preferred my title for him, for him better. All right. Uh, yeah, that that Larry Nance dunk should have won it. I mean, the Oladipo one, my theory was just that people want to see um, Dwight Howard get dunked on because they all really dislike him. But uh, And that's why they gave it to Oladipo. No, I mean, that Nance one, like we have rarely seen a dunk that good. That was sick. Also, it was strange to, for awards like that, that it had to be regular season only because LeBron's alley-oop to himself in the finals would have been, I mean, I don't think it should have won over Well, I think Nance. it was like they, they 
nominated at the end of the regular season. Right. So except for like playoff moment. They, except for playoff it. moment, yeah. the LeBron dunk right. to himself wasn't in that either, which uh, I was aggrieved by. But, you know, it's uh, it's not that big a deal. It's a fan-voted award on the award show, but whatever. I like that that sort of thing w- gets me worked up and not the other. If the other vote that was really close was executive of the year, that's different because it's not voted on by the media. Bob Myers did win it, who yeah, I thought deserved it. Narrowly beating out Gar Foreman. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, so, someone voted for Gar Foreman. It's unbelievable. Someone voted and, for and Neil the, O'Shea. And, and the frustrating part is that since I guess that's the reason they the voted year. for O'Shea. Sorry, the reason they voted for O'Shea was probably the Nurkic trade, forgetting about you know the crap, everything and else, contracts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but, I, but anyway, yeah, well, you're saying. Hard, but like, what's frustrating about that is with the other ones, we're going to find out on the 27th tomorrow what happened. But with Executive of the Year, I believe they never make that public because it's the other GMs that vote on it. So we're just going to be sitting there wondering who voted Gar Foreman and, and Ernie Grunfeld as being the executive of the year this year. I know. It's going to be like one of the eternal eternal NBA mysteries. This is going to be something we're going to have Bontemp snoop out and try to find out for us. By the way, at least this was for last year, so the Jimmy Butler trade not included. We'll see if Gar gets a, gets a first place vote next year. Well, he year. can get a first place vote from Tibbs next year. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Uh, are we done with the award? Should we say, oh, coach of the year was Mike D'Antoni. Uh, I had Greg Popovich. Who did you have? I had Pop, then Spo, then D'Antoni, but I, I'm not yeah. going to express any outrage. I thought he was going to win. Yeah. D'Antoni had a wonderful year. Yeah. D'Antoni won, Spolster two, Popovich three. Oh, do we want to talk about the all defense stuff? Because I know players oh, seemed yeah, up in arms. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's actually more interesting. The all defense and all rookie. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't find all rookie as interesting, but all defense. So you had a couple of different dynamics here. One was both first team guards are legit point guards chris paul and patrick beverly the top the first the three big four front court positions we already knew was going to be the three guys who are finalists for defensive player of the year draymond gobert and Kawhi. and then the other controversy that was bubbling up was kind of the second team so the second team tony allen danny green andre robertson Giannis, and anthony davis yeah avery bradley being left off i had no problem with these these are much better than they used to be much better you mean uh, kobe bryant making it yeah yeah i mean well, there was a time when he deserved it but sure yeah and then he got the reputation yeah that time uh was five years before he actually stopped getting voted on um yeah, I mean, I had no pro- problem with any of these guys. I think Avery Bradley should have made it over Patrick Beverly. And in fact, just to remind my personal uh, first team, I did it just point guard, shooting guard on every team. I had Chris Paul and Danny Green as my first team guards, Kawhi and Draymond at four, Gobert at center. So pretty close there. And then I had AD as my second team center. I had Paul Millsap as a second team power forward, Robertson as a second team wing. And then I actually had Clay Thompson above Bradley. Part of why Bradley was hurt, I think, was he only played 55 games, although Chris Paul didn't play that many more than him either, and Beverly missed some time well, as Tony well. Tony Allen missed time too. Yeah, and I had Beverly as, as my backup point guard, basically. Uh, but I, I think Thompson and Green are not as locked down at guys as Avery Bradley, just one-on-one, especially. And you saw like Dame Lillard and CJ McCollum tweeting in support of Avery Bradley, and that's not a surprise because those two guys have to go against him. And I think, you know, if you're just like... Like, hey, I need you to guard this guy one-on-one and we're just going to play a conventional scheme and we're never going to switch and we don't care how good your help defense is. I think Bradley would probably be the guy I would want there. Uh, he's the guy who just makes it most difficult on the guy that he is guarding when that's his only responsibility. But I think just being part of a team system, especially the ability to switch the way Green and Clay Thompson can do, I think is just a little bit more valuable in the well, aggregate. Pl- but, pl- yeah. Plus, Green is the best transition defender in the league. 
league, which helps too. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I, but I didn't think there were any huge miscarriages of justice. One there. weird thing for me is that there was actually a tie between Giannis and Millsap for that last spot. And for whatever, I, I always thought that in the case of a tie, they wouldn't do a tiebreaker. They would just put another guy on, but apparently they gave it to Giannis because he has more first place votes. Oh, yeah, I think that's always been the tiebreaker. Okay, poor Millsap. And I thought he deserved it. it. So then all rookie, first team, Brogdon, Saric, Embiid, Buddy Heald, and Willie Hernan Gomez. Second team, Jamal Murray, Jalen Braun, Marquise Chris, Brandon Ingram, Yogi Ferrell in Dallas. And remember, this is without regard to position. Jamal Murray had a, a tweet that was uh, not supportive of being on the, the second team. But if you actually look at, uh, I mean, if you had to ask me like who the best prospects are among those guys, you know, I'd have Murray and Braun both on the first team. But Murray didn't play that well, was pretty inefficient in the aggregate. I mean, he showed so many great flashes, uh, but... So I don't really have a ton to complain about here. I mean, Hernan Gomez actually was like pretty efficient. And this was, of course, a down rookie class. And Buddy Heald, while we're not as high on him, did play pretty damn well in Sacramento. 600 true shooting percentage, a little bit below a 15 PER. And and so for this rookie class, that's actually not bad. Sure. And this was also a reminder that, especially for the all rookie teams, the guys who play a lot are going to make it. Like Marquise Chris wasn't particularly great this year, but he played a lot. So he makes an all rookie team. And I don't think that's a big deal. But yeah, and Brandon Ingram was, you know, one of the one of the worst statistical players in the league as well uh, and made it just because he played. I mean, that's kind of how it it ends up being. Sure. I would have put Magruder over both those guys because I thought he did more in the time he was on the floor. He he was actually the closest guy. Guy. he actually fell only two points shy of yogi ferrell for making it yeah all right we got a little bit of news here the timberwolves as expected waived jordan hill and his non-guaranteed four million dollars for next year i think he only played 47 minutes the entire year that's pretty incredible uh but they didn't have any injuries in the front court you know that was part of why uh he's he was always just brought in for insurance and good job by the wolves not giving him another guaranteed year the obviously it wasn't worth it and then a very small thing the celtics have announced the rights to Marcus Thornton the this is another different Marcus Thornton than the one obviously uh, who played with the Pelicans out of LSU and and the Kings uh the he I think was the 46th pick a couple of years ago and rather than have to give him a required tender to maintain his rights they're just gonna let him go I mean there's no way he would be on the team I think they're he played in Maine for them and they're just not planning on ever bringing him in so why not just do him a favor and let him go I think is the thinking there yeah sounds about right uh and then also Mark Stein reporting that Minnesota is still intent I think the the phrase he used was remains intent on trading Ricky Rubio as it searches for more shooting yeah and I am completely in agreement with that now I I was I thought that it didn't make sense to trade him when they were talking about oh let's turn the keys over to Chris Dunn but it makes a lot more sense now that they have Jimmy Butler in the fold and uh, I fully support that we'll see what they're able to to get Uh, obviously we talked about them for like 30 minutes yesterday so go back and listen to that if if you haven't yet you want to hear more about our thoughts on the Wolves okay we'll be back with the Knicks offseason preview Right after this word from SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the inaugural sponsor of the Dunk Time Basketball Podcast. We're actually coming up on our two-year anniversary now of them sponsoring the show. And the way they started with us is actually people in their office listened to the show and just emailed me and said, hey, we, we would love to be on the show. We think that we take an analytical approach to our business. You take an analytical approach to basketball, we'd be a great fit. So that was, I was one of the first podcasts that they were actually on. Now I know they're ubiquitous. And why is it that SeatGeek has grown so much? 
They save you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find you amazing deals. You don't have to go to seven different sites worried that if you don't go to the eighth, you're going to miss out on a great deal. So that saves you a bunch of time there. You know, you probably would spend 10 minutes going to different sites. Now you're spending a minute. And then they also grade every ticket based on value so you can immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget that way now you're saving time again you don't have to compare one seat that's $15 cheaper but three rows ahead and decide which one's the better value SeatGeek can just give you a good idea with their grades and so you just buy the best value and now you're done in like 90 seconds buying your ticket when it used to be this 20 minute process every purchase of course is fully guaranteed you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence you can make them your go-to app for finding the best deals in every type of ticket sports concerts comedy theater anything that's got a ticket basically check it check and see on SeatGeek. the way to get started with them download the SeatGeek app enter the promo code capspace today we're about to talk about that of course with the new york knicks that's promo code capspace for 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase oh man so what's the knicks cap situation they have less space than many probably think because they have it's only about 16 million if they keep a cap hold for Justin Holiday, which I presume they will do until he makes a decision. And that's, you know, like kind of average starter or not even average starter. I think that's just kind of starter money this year. And the Knicks have lots of needs. You know, they weren't a, weren't exactly a playoff team. So they're going to be hard pressed unless they make some bigger moves. And of course, they certainly could. Yeah, they could. I think it's interesting to look also at what their future is, right? If they for 2018, this amazingly is the last year of Carmelo's deal before he can potentially opt out. But with $28 million due to him next year, probably wouldn't necessarily want to do that. But they could have about... 23 million in space for next year with some small adjustments if Kylo Quinn opts out, for example. So not really significantly more than this year. And then the year after that, that is the year that Kristaps Porzingis will go into restricted free agency. They have less on the books. They'll have 54 million in space, you know, depending on obviously anything else that they sign. But still, of course, would have Joakim Noah on the books and Courtney Lee as well. Let's talk about some of their free agents because they do at least have the ability to bring back basically the same team as last year if they want to uh justin holiday you mentioned him his cap hold is the minimum so he's someone who definitely if they want to really spend to try to improve this year it would make sense to keep him around because they have early bird rights on him that would be plenty probably uh, to bring him back and what do you think uh would be a reasonable number to bring holiday back at for a team that is certainly starved for wing players he seems to me to be more of like a, a fourth swingman. So, you know, so I would say he's he's not your primary, like the, the Eric Gordon kind of archetype here. He's, he's a step below that, maybe even two steps below that. So four to five million per year is probably where I'd throw it for him right now. Yeah, Holiday is actually older than you think. He's older than his brother Drew. He's 28. Right. And like the there Ennis are rumors. <laughs> that there are uh, rumors that he and Drew might want to play together, which the Knicks really cannot provide. I'm sure they would love to get Drew Holiday in there, but they probably cannot afford him with the that minimal space. And some of Phil Jackson's comments seem to have indicated that, hey, you know what? We're probably not going to be as competitive uh, next year that we kind of tried to build around Carmelo and we failed. And now we're looking towards the future. And so maybe they will not necessarily be in looking for spending more long-term money. I mean, the problem is they just, they desperately need a point guard. They don't really have a point guard on the roster. Even Ron Baker is a restricted free agent right now. Obviously, Derek Rose as well. 
And uh, Chaston Randall really is the only point guard on the roster, and he's really more of like a third point guard type. So that's going to be their priority for sure. And then they really also need, frankly, someone who can guard threes. I mean, their best guy guarding threes right now on the wing. Holiday would be too small for that. He's a little too skinny. And Lance Thomas, who really struggled last year with a knee issue after that career year that got him paid uh, with the early bird exception last year is really their best guy to guard it on the wing and he's really more of like a combo forward type and not really that great of a shooter so the only problem is uh 60 million in space probably isn't getting you a quality option at either of those positions they could also use some guy who can create off the bounce of the two i at the when we did the mock off when uh, mock deadline i tried to move off of courtney lear I, I encouraged that idea just because i think they need something different from their shooting guard lee's not a bad contract he's just not the right fit so they could try that. You're pro- I don't know if they're going to find a taker for him or use some of the money that way. But again, the supply of players who do that and don't take a ton of other things off the table is exceedingly limited. Yeah, it is. Uh, let's talk about Derek Rose, who they're talking about maybe bringing back, you know, because Chris Stapps Porzingis skipped an exit meeting. He's such a bad seed. But hey, Derek Rose just like missed a game <laughs> and went AWOL without telling anybody. And uh, no, nah, it's fine. We could bring him back. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, what would be a reasonable amount to pay for Rose if you were the Knicks? I mean, he might be the best of their options, frankly. In a way to par- kind of parallel, this is such a strange parallel, but Dirk Nowitzki last year, I would pay him more money for one year and then to try to put anything on a second year if he's willing to do that that's a big risk for Derrick Rose I think this is probably his last good chance at a long-term contract he's not gonna see it that way though right he, yeah, he'll so, see I it mean, as you know I'm still like uh, at the very least a starting point guard and if I can just prove it this year then I'll do much better next year if they can't pull somebody better with that space you know if they can't pull a, a point guard that we have above him I'll be totally fine paying him 15 to 20 million for one year totally fine yeah see seems like i mean at least he's like kind of exciting uh not exactly going to help your growth of uh your young players of which they have two uh porzingas porzingas and uh yeah porzingas that would be uh willie hernan gomez and porzingas combined but and rose has an enormous cap hold obviously too so if they wanted to bring him back they could exceed that 16 million in space for one year and then just probably use the full mid-level exception if they wanted to probably wouldn't end up being that great of a contract though uh Sasha Vujicic of course he's got to come back I mean you got to use that roster spot on him if you're a rebuilding team because he knows the triangle they can throw another guaranteed contract at Lou Amundsen worked last year uh Ron Baker is a restricted free agent one year of experience for him oh and I I shouldn't have said that actually that they have no point guards I got Frank Nilakina so uh he's just not ready yet (laughs) but uh because we actually, I think I did this outline before we uh, knew who they're going to draft. So, but I mean, I, I don't want to throw him to the wolves as a starter. No, I mean it's going to be it's going to be such a big jump for for him. I mean, yeah, he's been playing professionally, which is good. But it's it the NBA is a whole different animal, and they would probably be giving him more responsibilities than he had for most of the time in Strasbourg. Well, at least he'd be their best point guard defender if they bring Rose back. That's for sure. Well, yeah, but yeah, that'd be true. I mean, that, that'd be true almost definitely, considering most of the other options on the board. Yeah, so maybe actually now that they have Neil Kina, if they want to turn the keys over to him in year two, that one year deal for Rose is something that that might make sense. Then they got Ron Baker as well, who's kind of a combo guard, fits in the triangle again. Like I, I said this yesterday, I just have like it's so difficult for me to say what they should do because I'm like, would we be doing it like if I were in charge? 
charge and who I would get? Or am I in charge, but we have to run the triangle and I can only get guys who fit in the triangle? Like, I just don't really even know how to evaluate this, frankly. But I guess, like, you know, Nilakina fits in the triangle. Baker fits in the triangle. Okay. You know, I guess you want, like, kind of big guards who can shoot. Their ability to run, pick and roll, and penetrate isn't as important. And baker you know i think he could maybe earn something a little higher than the minimum you know you give him like two million bucks or so but they would they would have to eat into their cap space to do that his uh qualifying offer is uh 1.5 million dollars we should also go through their non-guarantees i'm not high particularly high on any of them marshall Plumley has a partial guarantee that kicks in right at the beginning of free agency so we'll see what they do there maurice only a hundred thousand though so so they could certainly dump him yeah and that guarantee date is june 30th but if it's only a hundred thousand you might as well keep him around you're basically that's basically what you'd be paying a guy to come to camp i mean they paid jp tokido that last year uh the only problem is he's already on the team, so he he eats into your space a little bit there if he's on there. Maurice Endor guarantees on the th- on the 30th, same day, I think he'll be out. And then Chasson Randall, I'm not completely sure what his guarantee situation is. Uh, it, it's 50000 guaranteed as of september 26th so okay. it's basically if he makes it to camp so again another guy you might want to leave on there or i mean what you could do with some of these guys too is you could just cut them at the start of free agency and then have an agreement to bring them back with the minimum exception so that they don't cost you anything under the cap i think we'll see that with a reasonable number of teams okay now let's get to the fun part porzingis trades what would you be willing to accept if you were Phil Jackson for the prized asset, Kristaps Porzingis? I do think that one thing maybe we didn't talk enough about when we were discussing this a couple of days ago was that maybe they have some injury concerns about him. And I think that's legitimate. Like he struggled with an Achilles issue. He's had some groin issues, you know, some core issues, his shoulders, you know, he has to wear that shirt. So I, I think there is some justifiable concern of, and just about any 7'3 guy as well. I mean, he's, he's more fluid than a lot of 7'3 guys for sure but he doesn't have like what people would call like a classic basketball player's body like he's kind of got wide hips and and narrow shoulders so i think it does make a little bit of sense if they know something about where he's at but uh was made this point on the true hoop podcast that like since one of the knicks like so incredibly concerned about injury risk after they just paid Joakim noah uh 72 million dollars over four years at age 31 doesn't it feel like phil would be more into like phrenology or something like that than whether a guy's body fits the mold to age well <laughs> You would say that. You have the brain pan of a stagecoach tilter. (laughs) But so the Porzingis question gets more complicated now because the draft is done. And so if you're trying to get future assets, there is a lot less certainty than there was a week ago because... Yeah, we have an idea of what what teams are going to be good and what teams are going to be bad, but we don't know. And as we've said numerous times before, the worst record under the current lottery system only has a 25% chance of the first pick. So those sorts of assets to me are significantly devalued compared to what they could have done, especially considering they were already scouting the top of the draft before 20 before. Yeah, last week. 
Yeah, well, I mean, there's still some pretty good guys in the 2018 draft as well. For sure. And maybe this was all just a shot across Porzingis's bow or they didn't get enough. But I mean, just in theory, let's just go team by team here, right? Like Phoenix, what would you have to get back from them? Presumably Devin Booker would have to be in that trade and I would need to get more too, right? I mean, they, the, the talk was Phoenix would not give up Devin Booker in any deal. And it's like, yeah, but Porzingis is way better than him. Yeah, I would ask for Devin Booker one or maybe even some sort of like the best of their picks because they also have that right with Miami. I don't think they're going to be so good that they'll have the worst one, but just in case. And I would probably ask for one of their other young guys too. Yeah, Ulyss, Bender or Chris. You, yeah, Bender, Chris, Ulyss, something in that realm, depending on the quality of the pick that you're getting back. That I think that would be a starting point. I'm not even sure that would be the end of it. Maybe you even ask them to take on some money if possible, or maybe you weaken the draft asset. Maybe you take Miami's pick back if they're willing to take on Noah or somebody else like that. Yeah, I think that getting off of that money. But then again, if you're moving Porzingis, you're consigning yourself to being even worse. You're probably getting even younger assets that are further away. And there's certainly something to be said that you hope that those draft picks become what Chris Bass Porzingis is right now in a couple of years. So it really would have to be a very significant package. And the idea of like, I probably would rather just get the asset and hold on to Noah's money because if you're not trying to be good anyway, like what good is that money except for just taking on more? more assets with uh, your space and that's right. basically exactly what you'd be doing with with phoenix so like why why not or, or whoever the other suitor would be so why not just like hold on to noah and just try to get more assets yeah, it was pretty much the approach Brooklyn took by taking on Mozgov's contract at the cost of getting a better asset in, in D'Angelo Russell. Uh, what about Boston? I would ask for the Brooklyn pick, the next one, so 2018 at, at the minimum. They have a lot of intriguing young talent, so Jalen, Jason Tatum, those would probably be the two main guys. And they have a lot of sweeteners, but I would say it would probably take one high-end draft asset, one of those good players, and then ideally a sweetener. So that could be Terry Rozier, or it could be somebody kind of of that ilk so not an amazing asset but still a net benefit i mean if you're already talking about getting like devin booker from phoenix and booker has more value than tatum or brown or probably maybe even all their picks going forward i i don't know whether that i think that that should be the case because i always am going to wonder about booker's efficiency and also his defense more importantly but it's only in the second year and he hasn't exactly had uh defensive whiz masters at coach so far so maybe he can get there his talent is not awful but yeah i mean i think it would have to be at a minimum Jalen Brown or number three, which became Tatum or, you know, that Brooklyn pick. I mean, two out of those three. And then maybe I might ask for the Memphis pick as well. The 2019 Memphis pick that's top eight protected that year goes down to six the next year and then it's unprotected in 2021. The only other two that I would look at that really have the type of assets that could entice me, I think, uh, Denver, that would be one. But I mean, I think if you put Jamal Murray in that deal, maybe I would start to talk about it. And that would be like, a fascinating one would be just like Jokic for Porzingis straight up. We've had that debate before. And also remember that Jokic is actually going to get paid first because the presumption that we've both made is that they're going yeah. to decline his option next year so that they can get restricted rights on him. Yeah, and then Denver, of course, has plenty of sweeteners there as well. But I mean, if you're not getting one of Murray or Jokic, uh, we're not even starting the talks. And you probably you need to get even uh, though everyone knows my thoughts on Jamal Murray. You got to get a lot more than Jamal Murray to make me think about that. If on the next, I mean, it would probably have to be Murray and Juancho Hernan Gomez to start with and then probably something else too. 
And and frankly, like I don't know if the Knicks would even do that because we're higher on both Hernan Gomez and Murray than I think you know the world at large. And who? So you said two teams. Who's your other one? Philly. They have assets. Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Uh, they've although they've given up now. They don't have like as many sexy picks going forward. And I mean, it really one of Fultz and Bead or Simmons would have to be in the trade. I mean, there's just there would just be no other way to do it, I think, at this point. And they and they would I don't think they would do that. I mean, they just have too much. Like here's, capital here's a question for you. Wrapped up in which of which or any of those three players would you say has a lower trade value than Kristaps Porzingis? God, that's really tough, right? Because I mean, you have to say Embiid is lower. He's one year closer to getting paid than Porzingis. And he's played 31 games in his career. I mean, he, he played at a higher level than Porzingis has even thought about playing at when he was healthy last year so there's that but i mean with the injury concerns i mean if chris apps has them i mean Embiid's got them like four times as bad as porzingis does and obviously simmons has some concerns as well fultz certainly is i think to me has more value i've said before that i think porzingis would have gotten number two in this most recent draft for me behind fultz and fultz also is is further away from having to get paid although i mean it's this whole idea of all right he's further away from being paid so he's worth more i was going to push back on that thinking a little bit because like that guy's not going to help you win for the first two years of his career anyway you know so it's like i mean like he'll sell you some tickets he'll give you some hope during that time but is he really i mean unless he's just like anthony davis or something he's probably not going to contribute to winning basketball in his first couple of years or, or carl towns i mean those are really like they would have to be that good or, or someone like Porzingis. i mean there's probably two or three guys every year who you're like oh man this guy's like really contributing to winning basketball in his first two years when we're talking about guys who are drafted you know at age 19 yeah i i would probably have simmons below Porzingis right now just for this moment in time because he hasn't proven it but yeah and his shooting could just be fatal right and so I mean he looked good in summer league last year yeah he looked good in summer league last year but we haven't we haven't had the opportunity yet with him against the big leagues and so that uncertainty to me pushes him below but Thanksgiving of this year that could just be done you know that they could that could go the other way I I think and that's why I don't think either of those teams would make that trade but it's interesting to think about to talk about all right well let's stop talking about it (laughs) oh we've already talked about it funny (laughs) and and move on to uh which free agents could possibly be fits and our favorite question for organizations of this ilk who would you be scared to see them go after let's see what centers have the most extensive injury histories andrew bogut They will. I, I feel convinced that they will not go for a center. I think Hernan Gomez, they consider him their center of the future with Por, Porzingis, um, which is kind of, it's a little worrisome because if they're like, oh, we're set now, like Porzingis will just be the four and Hernan Gomez will be the five when we think that Porzingis' best position will be five. But it, it is fair to note that Porzingis has failed playing the five mostly so oh, far. I, I could give so many guys that I would be terrified of the next signing. The other one that's up there for me is Rudy Gay. Yeah, uh, I think Gay wants to go to a winning situation situation which the Knicks aren't and certainly all of the reporting has indicated Woe just said this Zach Lowe said this like nobody 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 wants to go to the Knicks it's like the destination of last resort especially point guards oh man they really just do not want to go there at all but so I mean I think any of the major point guards that they might have like George Hill they would have to because any of these vet point guards are gonna have to overpay in terms of money and years likely so george hill jeff teague patty mills i'm sure they would massively overpay for although phil jackson likes big guards because you know uh big guards helped beat the pistons in uh the early 90s so that's why you need big guards and tony parker's injury likely takes him out i had joked with jared dubin who does like about the idea prominent knicks fan at least in my in my mentions about about the idea of them trading for tony parker but unfortunately 
apparently with his uh, torn, that was a torn quad, right? Torn quad tendon? Yeah, torn quad tendon, yeah. So that, you know, he's still going to be recovering. The Knicks are, t- are in a tough spot also, because as you said, it, like something we should talk about because it's been floating around the last couple of days is the idea of a buyout with Melo. And I will say that makes no sense to me. And the reason why is because like we saw with Kevin Martin, when a player is, when you negotiate a buyout with a player who has an option, you have to treat that option like they're going to pick it up. And while there is a chance that Mello is not going to pick it up, he will not treat it that way right now. Yeah, Mello has more value for next year than Kevin Martin, who was basically done and never played actually after he signed on in San Antonio. Last year, that was his last season. He's basically retired at this point. So Martin, I think, was owed $7 million. He took, like I think, a $3 million haircut and actually ended up worse for the exchange because he never signed anywhere again. Melo, I think he could at least expect to get paid you know, $15 million on the open market next year. But that's also $15 million where? You know, are you going to get paid that much going to a winner? They probably don't have the space for you. So it's if he takes you know a $12 million haircut or a $15 million haircut off that $28 million, million that he's owed for next year do you then really want to do that because anywhere you go you know how much is it actually worth to go there winning it and also supposedly it's very important for him to stay in the new york area for family reasons so I don't know. It's, I think it's, it remains difficult. He's got the no trade for a reason. By the way, I can't wait to like put the screws to you guys tomorrow asking for no trades in the mock off season because there are, there are some fascinating no trade negotiations that that are going to happen tomorrow. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, it, it doesn't really. The only way it really would make sense for the Knicks. I mean, it really is it that great to save like another ten million or so? The only thing that helps for the Knicks. I mean, the biggest appeal, frankly, for buying him out is just to be worse that's that's the, your big appeal that's why you do that because he's going to help you win games that aren't going to help with your future but it's not like they have players that need those touches i so you i get i totally get your idea of you know bottoming out but the you have that ancillary benefit if there's a guy that he's blocking i don't really think of the knicks that way right now maybe maybe I'm oh no they don't something. have any other threes on the roster really so there's yeah. nobody that he's blocking that's for sure so yeah I, I would play it by ear and then maybe in february if the situation gets desperate enough maybe he starts to think about that eto a little bit differently and at that point you have discussion but i don't think even then i mean you're gonna you're gonna be requiring a significant concession from him because i think at that point Melo might just be saying hey you know my my sanity all that stuff is is worth it especially because it's not like the knicks are going to be in a position to rebuild for that immediate term anyway even if let's say he outlasts phil what is he going to stay on the knicks for yeah i I agree with you I, i don't think i would do it if i were the knicks unless you know i could get like a $15 million discount on that final year. Also, by the way, trading him is complicated by the fact that he has a trade bonus, although uh, under the new CBA now he can waive that whenever he wants. It used to be that you could only waive it if the trade would only work if you decided to waive it. So now that's less of a concern if you wanted to go to this destination. But I mean, that's still going to be Cleveland or L.A. probably, and L.A. may even disappear uh, if Chris Paul and Blake Griffin aren't there anymore. That's true, and I don't think the Lakers right now are going to willing to take the risk that he could opt into that money and they'd lose some flexibility. So, yeah, I mean, that it's the Knicks are, are in just a fascinating circumstance with that of like, can they even move forward if they wanted to? Like if they if they wanted to, to go in that direction, because there are veto players in their circumstance that are not them, which is unusual. And as you said, with the no trade thing, that might become more prevalent in the next couple of years. So the other thing that they're going to need is some kind of like a three. I mean, if we assume that they're going to use most of their money on a point guard, that they probably will be limited to the 
$4 million room exception, which you can give up to a two-year contract on that. Getting a three, I mean, we've already talked about how scarce threes are. I mean, Brandon Rush maybe is in your price range there. He's not really a three, but just to get another guy who can shoot and maybe just play Lance Thomas at the three some uh, would be Luke Babbitt. He might be someone who could fit with them a little bit. But I mean, their options are going to be very limited at that position of need. I mean, there's a reason so many teams are hurting for threes. We just talked about Sacramento yesterday not having any. Plus, assuming Melo is still on the team at that point, you're not getting the discount because a guy says, hey, I'm going to get a a make good and have a chance to really play there. So you don't have many sales pitches at all. Yeah. All right. So, I I mean, what would your strategy be for them then, just in an overall sense right now? Talk to point guards, especially, you know, if they want to take a shorter term deal, expect that they will turn you down. Absent that, talk to Derek Rose, see what he wants to do. And if if none of those are amenable, then I would actually look, try to spend that, think about spending that 15 million on the on the wing market, see if somebody's willing to take a discount. Like, I don't, there isn't really a great fit though, because the problem is their money runs right into next year. So then maybe, you talk to some teams about taking on some expiring contracts and be a facilitator in some of those moves, but I don't think they have many good options here. No, that's what happens when you spent uh, seventeen million on someone who can't play, and maybe maybe they could try to. Do you think that like moving Courtney Lee just basically for more cap relief would be possible? He's probably a little bit of a bad contract where he's at right now. Probably maybe even more than a little bit of a bad contract. Like well, he's probably what I, what you know, I would do in that circumstance. I wouldn't necessarily have the goal of moving him for nothing. I would just say having the goal of moving him for something that doesn't carry on long term. So if a team yeah. like let's say Minnesota said, "Hey, we're not going to be able to." do that but we'll trade him like try and make a deal involving let's say cole aldrich i would do that if i were the knicks just get out of that money yeah cole aldrich doesn't make any sense on your team but you you're free and clear there you you get some flexibility in a year where it really matters call aldrich had a uh wonderful year for that 17 win knicks team But really, that's the type of the type of move that they should be looking for. And we often don't think about those for teams just because it's a little bit awkward. But when you have contracts that don't necessarily fit your timeline, those approaches might be the best way forward because teams aren't going to say, hey, let's take Courtney Lee into space. But they might say, hey, doesn't cost us that much money this year. Why not? Yeah, it's pretty bleak, though. I mean, ho- hopefully we can see like, you know, young point guard Frank Nilakina and Kristaps and Porzingis playing center, just running pick and roll and like, well, at least gets some really exciting basketball there right because they're going to have this freewheeling beautiful offensive system they have, maybe they won't stop anybody they, at least the, you know their young players will get to see them really work in space and, and be exciting let's do a commercial now <laughs> so lift is a company that i have actually been using since 2013 a long time ago it started out in San Francisco. I found out about them pretty early on. I always liked them other than, or I liked them better, I should say, than another ride-sharing company. And the reason for that is that happy drivers mean happy passengers. And now Lyft is giving you the opportunity to join the ride-sharing company that believes in treating its people better. You can go to lyft.com, L-Y-F-T.com slash capspace today and get a $500 new driver bonus. You can earn hundreds of dollars a week plus 100% of your tips. I always tip when I ride Lyft. Certain other ride-sharing companies do not offer the ability to tip their drivers, and you can do it right in the app. 
because getting tips shouldn't depend on your passenger having a crumpled bill in their pocket. Lyft also offers express pay. It lets you get paid almost instant, instantly instead of weeks later. If you want to earn more money, you can drive more. It's never been easier to give yourself a raise. And there's really no other way that you can just work for like two or three hours at a time. If that's all the time you have, you need to earn some money or you have a special purchase that you're saving up for. If you have a couple free hours or you're just feeling like, hey, it's the weekend, I got some time. Lyft is a great way to just make some money. What other job can you just go to for two hours? You don't have to show up for like an eight hour shift. Once again, the way to get started with Lyft and get that $500 new driver bonus, go to lyft.com, L-Y-F-T dot com slash cap space. That's lyft.com slash cap space. Limited time only. Terms apply. All right, now let's talk about the Phoenix Suns, a team with a lot of young assets, a lot of young pieces that we're not really sure what to make of yet. They just drafted Josh Jackson with the number four overall pick. Let's just start off by talking about where they are in terms of cap space, Danny. So they're different from a lot of these teams just because of the part of Alex Len. So they could have up to 25 million or thereabouts in space, but they would have to withdraw the qualifying offer for Len, which is a $12 million cap cap hold his qualifying offer is much lower than that it's actually 4.2 million but he takes up basically half their space if they want to bring him back unless and until they sign him to a deal and then that salary which would presumably be lower would replace that cap hold yeah so if they want to get to that 25 million uh i think it's just i'm not sure i mean what do you think of len as a player at this point uh you know obviously was drafted number five in 2013 has not been an effective starter since then but i thought he did actually take some steps forward in terms of his efficiency in this last year i think he, he i've often complained that there's too much fluff in his game he only had a 480 true shooting percentage in 2015-16 and a higher usage he lowered his usage up to his efficiency still needs to get a lot better defensively but you know i think he's i would my thought on him would be that he's kind of like you know, I'd pay him like a backup center with like some modicum of upside maybe is is what he's worth. But I'm also just not sure that like for where this team is and where it's going that I want to commit long-term money to him. And the other challenge of committing long-term money as the Phoenix Suns is that they have so much tied up in guys that aren't necessarily central to their future. So Brandon Knight has another three years at about 14 million per year. Tyson Chandler has another two at about 13 and a half. So per year. And so what that does is it just kind of means so if you're throwing another, let's say, eight, eight or nine million for Alex Len, let's say that's what the backup center market is this year. You have a lot tied up in guys that are A, at least two of the three are backups, and B aren't, you know, this key part of that core. And yes, it's true that their rookies or their rookie scale guys are not getting paid in the next couple of years. Devin Booker's gonna be the next in 2019. Well, unless we're counting TJ Warren. And so I think they could justify something like that but then also remember they have alan williams who i thought looked pretty good and if you're just trying to get a backup he's arenas limited i don't think he's even going to come close to that mattering so they could also just sit there and go hey we'll take whichever one of these guys gives a a more team-friendly contract not necessarily who's cheaper but who gives us a contract we can deal with yeah that, that makes sense although williams doesn't have the upside because you could say hey for len if we take a bet on this guy maybe he turns into like an okay starting center and then we got him for cheap now i mean it's pretty easy his qualifying offer is only 
4.2 million so that gives them a little leverage on him his cap hold you mentioned is 12 no way i'm paying as much as that cap hold for him uh you know i mean it's got i'm talking about maybe if it were you know 10 million a year i might might think about it but even that seems like too expensive for a guy that you don't know is going to be a star i mean unless this contract is all right you know we think this guy has a 25 percent chance of becoming a decent starter we don't have any other center prospects really on the team right now williams is always going to be a backup at best he's just too slow and ground bound to really defend at a high level len actually has the physical tools maybe to get there at some point so you know unless we're talking about something in the eight nine million range or so and i think len just where he's at in terms of being the number five pick probably still thinks of himself as a future starter his representation probably does so i think that this is one of those ones that could go a long way and maybe he does end up taking the qualifying offer the only problem is he didn't meet the starter criteria and so that means that he it's going to be you know it's not like his qualifying offer is like seven million or something like he would be taking a significant haircut even in year one from like that eight million offer but i I think we could probably uh, i would be surprised if they got a long-term deal done at least without any any difficulty i want to talk a little bit about what i kind of see as the long-term plan for this team you mentioned the money that's already on the books tyson chandler jared dudley another one too i can't remember whether you mentioned him or not both those guys come off the books in the summer of 2019 when they should have a lot of space and you also remember devin booker uh who will only be making or he'll be making more than this but his cap number will only be 3.3 million and so his cap hold won't be bad it'll be like 9 million that year they'll have to they probably will want to avoid extending him unless it's for a significant discount but then maybe the hope to me would be we're gonna just kind of be a dumping ground continue to get assets over the next two years hopefully all these young guys start to look really good and then as we have to extend booker i think our their cap space would go a lot further in the summer of 2019 than the 25 million would go right now when they really have to overpay because they've just been bad for so long also remember that not only do they have their own picks moving forward but they have that first rounder from miami i mean we don't know how good miami is going to be next year the pick is top seven protected for 2018 and then unprotected for 2019 but that could produce a good player too and i said that they have i think it's five guys that are going to be on rookie scale contracts this year you add in two more next year you're starting to get to halfway and that's a good thing for your roster construction just in terms of cheap money but they are going to have to figure this out moving forward and then the other elephant in the room here is how do they conceive of their own team because the suns actually have a lot of the vets that you would think a young team would want jared dudley's a good fit with that eric bledsoe's a really good player tyson chandler can still contribute so do they want to keep those guys and then kind of build on top of that using the money they have or do they want to move some of those players while they still have value and then bring in other other guys maybe at a cheaper contract to line more up with that 2019 vision yeah and what they want to do and what they should do (laughs) may not match up because recall number one they haven't made the playoffs in forever robert sarver certainly uh, would really like to do that not known as the most patient owner in the world they also recall that ryan mcdonough is in the last year of his contract and robert sarver is known for letting guys contracts run to the end and then generally not bringing them back as it turns out i mean this they had steve kerr that was how he exited the franchise in 2010 obviously lance blanks was terrible there so there's plenty of reason for him to get kicked out and then mcdonough has been there since the summer of 2013 been a while now for him he's he's also i think one of like by far the lowest player uh lowest paid gms in the league like not even close to what some of the new guys have been making um because remember i think when he came in lon babby was still there and he was probably like the main guy and i'm not sure that mcdonough's contract has been adjusted to indicate that he's the key basketball 
basketball decision maker now nonetheless all that makes you think that they're going to try to go for it in some form or fashion well and i want to mention with mcdonough that he's not only trying to shine up his reputation for the suns he's also doing it for any other team so you know because if if you you might do better there by just getting some more assets as well but yeah uh we'll, we'll see i mean generally speaking you, you're only looking for one owner to, to say hey look at how much better the suns were than they were the last year let's look at that gm but it, it's it's going to be a real challenge for them and i think this is a good time to transition into the possibility of them as the third team in a kevin love trade and what that would do theoretically well is actually on- can we let's save that for a second because the okay. other thing since we're still talking about you know the idea of maybe using cap space i think my plan would be a uh, to use that 25 million in cap space this year i'd be fine letting len go if need be if we couldn't come to a very team-friendly agreement and then my plan would be try to get a shooting center who could make all these young guys look a lot better they really did not have enough shooting at the five last year uh they, they struggled to pass they struggled for spacing so i would be very interested in you know someone like kelly olenek or mike muscala or most space uh I might even take like a flyer on Donatus Matiunas, see whether he could play some center, you know, obviously at a very low price point. The other thing they might try and do would be to trade for a player like that, you know, take on Spencer Hawes from Milwaukee, maybe get, you know, a second round pick in exchange for doing that. Uh, Channing Fry, maybe with him not playing at all against Boston and Golden State, maybe he would be available to come back. You know, obviously went to school there, had a, a successful stint with the Suns before, you know, Fry would be a great bench center for them as well and that could just really you know Devin Booker Josh Jackson especially because now you have Josh Jackson in the fold another guy with questionable shooting at the three you got to make up for that shooting deficit somewhere so acquiring a guy who could be a passable center I'm not as worried about the defense I think you know just where they are at at this point you want to just get development and also that has the benefit for McDonough of oh hey look how awesome all these young guys are that we acquired now they're killing it on offense and no you know nobody really cares about young players defense at least on a surface level when you're evaluating so you just assume that that's going to come later and they'll they'll get better what do you think of that plan I like it. You want to make sure you don't give that center a really long-term deal that cuts into that space. And that's why trading for somebody might make more sense. But supercharging their offense, giving those guys stats. Also, if you think that you want to maybe move one or two of them at some point, building yeah. up their value offensively in terms of counting stats is, is wonderful. And so you could square all that up. And that all, yeah, it, it helps everything. Also, depending on what they do at point guard, it could help those guys look better too, because you're getting more assists. They're getting easier paths to the lane and things like that. Another thing you mentioned this, TJ Warren, a little bit further on in his his career than some of these other guys, took a huge step back last year uh, from three-point range. He, he shot 40% in 2016 before breaking his foot. Very very low sample. And then uh, 26% last year, only 1.5 three-point attempts a game. I mean, I still think he's like an excellent professional scorer. Shoots 75% at the rim, close to a point every two minutes. I think on a good team, a guy who could be... Be a, a very solid bench score with now that they're really big believers in josh jackson they might try to move warren maybe that would be more likely to happen at the trade deadline when they figure out kind of how ready jackson is to contribute because they don't really have any other threes on the roster besides warren but i do like jackson's fit better just defensively because they really need someone who can defend on the wing they've been missing that for a long time and warren i thought was a little better defensively at times last year but still not renowned for that i think he has the tools you know maybe in the right system but i don't think that's that's phoenix 
so but Danny what would you be willing to pay in terms of an extension for TJ Warren right now he's 23 he will turn 25 before the season where his extension will kick in so he'll be 24 for this season I'm thinking you pay him backup money and again another guy who you want to I think his cap holds like nine million so you want to get him to take a discount if you're going to commit to it now I would be offering him something around eight or nine million and think he wouldn't take it just because I don't want to commit to him being more than that right now just because he hasn't proven it and because he didn't really grow much last year and I always I like it when a player has a progression to it I like Warren a lot but I'm thinking something in that like seven to nine million dollar annual annual range if he were to sign now yeah how do you think he compares to terrence ross i think he's kind of not not the same type of player in terms of his shooting but as a bench score i mean i think he's got more size than ross more defensive potential a little bit harder of a fit because he's more of a scorer not as good of a shooter but that's i think a reasonable comp so something you know even maybe you you avoid the fourth year you know something like a three-year mm-hmm. 30 million something like that uh but again you know I, i'm not thinking he necessarily would be down to take that but i, I I do think it's just the market is only going to be getting tighter over these next couple of years that's kind of why i like this 2019 plan a little bit and then you also have an idea of you know who's good on your team at that point and what you need to fill in around them in terms of free agency you've got another couple of draft picks on the roster as well I and mean, they're gonna have so many young guys so with you know bender chris all those but some of those guys are just gonna not work out and so good to continue filling the pipeline uh all right now i think we can talk about the potential of a kevin love trade i again i think he's someone who would be very useful in terms of helping their young guys look better and maybe with love and bledsoe booker they're still just not going to stop anybody on this team but love would be a nice fit with josh jackson with his lack of shooting open up the floor a little bit more uh so i i think you know they could maybe get onto the fringes of playoff contention if they were to get him for these next couple of years uh and then he would probably just leave in free agency or you'd have to overpay him and he'd be 30 years old by that point anyway uh but so uh, given all those realities what might you be willing to give up for him so really what you're trying to do here is you're trying to placate the pacers so you're looking at what they want rather than what the Cavs want because presumably right. the Cavs are getting paul george in this whole thing so actually the sun's young players could fit in reasonably well with that tj warren if they're going in in a direction because then they basically take a flyer on him but the core of this is going to be first round picks and miami's pick we, we at that point might be assuming they're not making the trade tomorrow they're going to have a better idea of where miami is if they can pull gordon hayward if they can pull blake griffin or somebody else i could even consider doing something where you offer maybe the most favorable or least favorable of either miami or phoenix's picks with certain protections on it like kind of like what the uh i'd be graded that was with the number one overall selection but what the sixers did with the kings one and if it goes to 2019 where you know you get the better one unless it goes in the top range and then otherwise it falls back something like that i think would be a reasonable mix and then if you want to add in other guys as sweeteners by all means you totally can yeah so you're talking about two draft picks or one I think you do one higher end one and then if you if you can try to put together like a, maybe a, a lower end pick like I mean I think Phoenix well see that's the challenge because I was gonna say Phoenix could offer their second but their second doesn't look nearly as good if they get Kevin Love so I would do a, a, a solid first some sort of second and then a young flyer like a TJ Warren type guy 
Yeah, I mean, they have Toronto second in 2018 from the P.J. Tucker trade. That Miami pick, I mean, Miami unlikely to be in the top seven next year. So that pick will probably go, you know, that'll probably be, you know, somewhere in the teens, you would think. Uh, That Miami pick, by the way, if it does not convey, then becomes unprotected in 2019. And then they have the 2021 unprotected Miami pick as well from the Dragic trade. Probably not one that I would be interested in moving if I were them at any unprotected pick always just has so much of a ring to it uh, but yeah you know I, I think it might be useful this is a team that needs to take a kind of a step forward um I mean if they don't really sign anyone you know they're probably going to be 30 games maybe 35 if all these guys take a step forward their defense will still be horrendous uh, I don't not a huge Earl Watson believer as a coach um so, you know, their own draft pick could still be pretty useful. They're, they're hurting that by getting love. It probably wouldn't be the move that I would make at this point. But, you know, I also haven't had to own a team that's missed the playoffs for the last uh, seven seasons now. The other consideration I feel like we have to talk about here is just the way that these things run together. Because if you keep lo- if you try to bring in love, then you're keeping Bledsoe and a lot of their other good older players because you want to sure. actually compete. And if you let if you don't do something like that, this could be a, a reasonable time to bottom out but again it's not a reasonable time to bottom out for their general manager so i don't expect it to happen what i would be doing with bledsoe because i still think he's a good player he has two more seasons under contract is i would be choosy with him i would solicit offers i think this is what they did around draft time you're open to moving him for the right thing but you don't have to because he helps make you better but he's not you know but but you're not going to give him away for nothing because he's good yeah one benefit of moving bledsoe would be they don't really have anything else as a starting point card maybe that could allow knight to rehab his value to some degree where he's not quite so toxic and you could move on from him as well but part of the problem in in trading blood so is you know presumably you're going to get draft picks or young players i mean let's think about it here right so they've got uh, this is the number of young players that they have in the roster right now they got tyler ulis devin booker tj warren josh jackson Derek jones jr marquise chris dragon bender already now josh jackson is in the fold this year they got two more draft picks coming next year so you get another couple of draft picks or, or another young player you know like that 13 uh and moutier offer from denver for example so that's two more young players i mean at some point you just you can't have so many young players either they're just not going to have a chance to develop or or you know maybe you'll just find that they i mean denver is sort of having some of the same issues here as as well there are only so many of these guys that you can have now my thought would be hey you know what like some of those guys just aren't going to work out you know you view them as a lottery ticket if they can't get playing time so be it they kind of wither on the vine that's just what happens but it's definitely you know that's one philosophy another one is hey you just there are only so many young guys that you can have here they also have decisions like for leandro barbosa he has a partial guarantee and so he's at four million if they pay him or they can basically cut him pretty soon for five hundred thousand. and it's again a clarifying question because do they really need that three and a half million are they going to do anything with it are they going to use that to eat salary or something like that or do they just want to keep another solid vet around yeah i mean i think i would cut him like the the market for solid vets is i mean if if they cut him i don't think anyone claims him at that price so i mean they could always just like re-sign him even if they wanted to or or, you know maybe he'd go somewhere else but they, they 
there's they also still have ronnie price around too you know he can he can be the third point guard and like give you that solid vet veteranism i i still think it, i've thought about this possibility before that ian clark replaced barbosa as kind of that extra guard for the warriors if barbosa then replaces ian clark <laughs> coming back to golden state yeah that, that would be interesting uh lamarcus aldridge has been talked about as a potential guy for them don't really see the point he's only got one year left on his deal supposedly he loves tyson chandler they were phoenix was in theory a finalist for him in the summer of 2015 but that just seems like a, a really bad idea to me it, it doesn't really bring much of a benefit and I mean he, it makes them better it's it's the type of move that I wouldn't do but I could see McDonough but but also I think the the Spurs just to save face they aren't going to give him away for cheap like I don't think it's gonna be one of those circumstances yeah. and the value provided any be- price that would be worth it any price that'd be worth it would be not worth it for San Antonio and the expectation would be that if you got LaMarcus Aldridge that he's going to opt out and that you're going to pay him using bird rights and you really don't want that contract considering where this team is going like it, he doesn't make any sense re-signing him doesn't make any sense for this team because he's going to get paid and they already have not only two power forwards potentially in the future but a team that he's going to age out of almost instantly yep i, I agree with all that uh anything else you want to say on these guys before we wrap it up here yeah we alluded to it with Derek jones jr but they also have a non-guarantee for elijah Millsap, and both of those players their guarantee dates are in january so they can wait on that and with the Suns, like a couple of other teams, really the only reason you would let go of them now is because you're using every every cent of your space. I don't expect that. I think you'll basically just see both those guys in camp. I think Derek Jones will probably make their team. It's hard to think of why he wouldn't. And so you roll with you roll with that group and I'm going to be fascinated to see what they do with these veterans you know I, I talked about you can probably remember the team I think it was the Wolves yesterday about how Jared Dudley could be a good fit with them do they want to keep him around at 10 million let him go I think this would be a good time to trade him just because if you can get out of that money use it for another purpose next summer something like that could work but you never know they're in a very different set of incentives and this is a very scary summer for them to possibly make make a, a mistake that's just defensible because of the circumstance yeah i think so and really next summer they're not going to have any more cap space than they would this summer and that's not even counting any new contracts that they sign in fact they would have a little bit less next summer with some of the the raises and especially if they bring back alex len uh so yeah i mean it's either kind of spend it now or spend it in 2019 would be the thought there and maybe also you could say with knight chandler dudley to a lesser degree i think he's the best of those three contracts that some of these trades that they could make out could also be a way of dumping some of that that bad money as well if you especially if indiana were involved in a love trade indiana rebuilding you know maybe you give up more assets but all right yeah you got to take tyson chandler and indiana could actually use chandler to some degree as, as a backup center or or indiana could even use brandon knight potentially i mean we'll see he'll still be overpaid but they'll probably want a point guard uh and and one that'll still make them bad <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's not even a stealth tank point guard. He's just an outright tank point guard. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening today. Talk to you all tomorrow when the mock-off season shall be upon us. Till then.